Welcome to the Two Degrees C Climate Chat Podcast, your weekly guide to everything that's happening within the climate around the world. My name is Neil Vinikirk. I'm the Executive Director and a founding member of Two Degrees C. Each week in the Two Degrees C Climate Chat Podcast, we discuss issues relating to the climate crisis. So join us as we explore in the Two Degrees C Climate Chat. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the very first Two Degrees C Climate Chat podcast, episode one of season one of what we hope will be an informative series of engagements about our planet's climate. We'll keep you up to date with interesting stories from leaders in the field and those tackling the climate crisis in unique ways. With me today are the two co-founders of Two Degrees C, Dr. Carson Shine and Jenny Disson. Um, both experts in uh, their fields with relation to Earth's climate systems. So welcome to both of you. Um, hi, Carson. Hi, Jenny. Hi. Maybe uh, both of you could uh, introduce yourselves to the listeners and just uh, so that they can understand what your backgrounds are. Carson, maybe we should start with you. Sure thing. Um, so I am a applied climatologist. Uh, really just means that I study uh, not only the variability and the changes in climate, but um, how they affect ecosystems and communities and other things. And I've been doing this for about 25 years. Um, I got my PhD from Michigan State uh, University uh, in geography, and I've worked for NASA and NOAA on many of these problems. Great. Thank you. How about you, Jenny? Yeah. Hi. Uh, so I'm an environmental systems engineer by academic training, but most recently I've been working in the context of engagement uh, bringing environmental information to those who can benefit or should be using the data and information for improved decision-making. Um, I've kind of uh, had an interdisciplinary career. I've worked in management consulting in the energy industry, and now I work at a research institute located at NOAA's National Centers for Environmental Information. So Carson, you're a climatologist. Um, maybe you can explain to the, the listeners what the difference is between weather and climate, because I do hear that question come up quite a lot when I talk to people. Sure, and that's an important distinction to make. I mean, we get weather from day to day and uh, some of it is extreme, some of it is uh, relatively calm, uh, nice days, bad days and such. And that obviously continues whether, no matter what the climate uh, might be doing. And the climate is really sort of like a a person's closet uh, filled with clothes and the weather is the clothes that are being pulled out each day. Um, and you know, so, you know, in more scientific sense, it's the sum climate is the summary of, of weather throughout a period of time or space. Gotcha. Gotcha. And in your professional opinion, what do you believe the state of the climate is at this time? Well, certainly uh, I am in agreement with uh, the consensus of science that the climate is warming uh, on a global scale and weather patterns as a result are shifting. Um, things are becoming a bit more extreme and variable and uh, that the climate and the oceans are getting warmer. Okay. And um, maybe you can elaborate just a bit. I mean, to be sure, how, why do you think that is occurring? 
well, currently the the change can really be uh, almost singularly attributed to uh, greenhouse gas emissions and uh, and man-made uh, things being put into the atmosphere. Gotcha. So greenhouse emissions, and um, in your, I mean, if you keep that in context, how do we transition to a state where that would not uh, be a factor anymore? A lot of it has to do with uh, some of the emerging technology and the will of, of uh, people and innovators everywhere and in reducing our dependence on um, sources of energy that create these greenhouse gases. As they uh, are removed from the atmosphere, a lot of uh, what, what has happened uh, very well may reverse itself. Gotcha. So Jenny, uh, in your day job, uh, do you believe that there are some opportunities that lie um, in developing these systems? Absolutely. I can say that, you know, trained as an engineer um, academically, you can see the role of temperature, pressure, humidity, all of these climate indicators and variables being used in generally all aspects of engineering calculations. If you think about that and what and how we live our lives across all different sectors of the economy. That basically is my way of saying environmental information is already being used in all aspects of our lives in the economy. Um, and that means that we can also uh, think of ways to improve the use of the data and the information to develop new ways and new sectors. So there is um, all sectors of our economy use environmental information. And if we can reshape and rethink the value and the role of the environmental information, then uh, opportunities are in every sector. Yeah, and you, you're actually uh, touching on the next point that I was going to ask you, which is to do with, um, you know, what, what kind of next steps do you see uh, industry taking? You know, there's so much going on at the moment, um, and it varies by industry. So the first thing to mention is um, the politically, the landscape is changing. What that means is the financial sector, the banking, the lending institutions have now this concept called TCFD. Uh, which is enabling institutions to think about um, how environmental data and information factors into ESG goals. And so what that means is, you know, the, the lending and, and borrowing and the financing aspects are changing, which means more innovators will be able to come into this equation, coming up with new solutions and get the financial backing they need um, to launch and, and create startups. So Jenny, maybe you can just um, explain uh, ESG for the listeners. Yeah, um, ESG stands for Environmental Sustainable Governance. Um, some industries and some companies and organizations use these uh, ESG goals and targets and metrics to kind of see how are they managing their emissions and what's their decarbonization set of activities, what's their footprint. Um, you know, it, it evolved in the context of sustainability initiatives um, in the private sector and industry. So, um, you know, what I see happening is one, we have a new industry called climate tech. We have climate, and I say climate, but it's really environment because, it, you know, ocean solutions in the oceans are also starting to uh, become more available. I think the recognition of the issues and the opportunities is starting to be more in the forefront. 
you're listening to a conversation about climate innovation. Coming up... Well, sure. As, as I said, you know, there are uh, global data sets, and they're made up of observations that may be thousands of kilometers apart. So you really can't understand what's going on between those data points. Uh, we have massive data gaps in these, in these uh, uh, data sets, and so we can really only say paint with a broad brush. Uh, this really gives an opportunity to collect data at a hyper-local scale that will really help scientists and resource managers understand what's going on with climate change impacts um, on their resources, you know, down to, you know, a very small level. That's up next when 2 Degrees C Climate Chat continues. Described barefoot luxury, the casually sophisticated Southern Cross Club is Little Cayman's original resort. This hidden gem is as unique and vibrant as the island it inhabits. A true island treasure, it is the perfect place to dive, fish and relax. Its 14 beachfront bungalows are situated on 900 feet of white sand, only minutes from the world-class diving found only in Little Cayman. Visit www.southerncrossclub.com to book your escape to tranquility. Adrian with Quest Dive Adventures, and you're listening to the Two Degrees C Climate Chat Podcast. So I'd like to change directions a little bit and maybe introduce the listeners to uh, Two Degrees C and, and uh, you know, why we founded this organization. And Jenny, maybe you can help the listeners understand um, the mission and vision of Two Degrees C. Yeah, Um you know, it's quite simple. It is engaging with outdoor enthusiasts or your everyday individual in collecting data uh, on our planet. So, Karsten, um, this all started with a realization of yours where you realized there, was, there were opportunities within um, scientific data sets. Maybe you can relate that story for listeners. Sure, I'd be happy to. Um, you know, this all started a few years ago. Uh, I was doing some research on trying to understand uh, the effects of climate change on coral reefs, uh, which is a really hot topic of, of research activity. But I was trying to look at it from a slightly different perspective and seeing variations in the reefs as a diver, as a scuba diver, uh, from one, one reef stack to the next. And, you know, at that high local scale, it was hard to use these big, broad global climate data sets to understand what was going on there. So I really, I just started putting sensors, temperature sensors um, on the reefs around Little Cayman Island and trying to understand what was going on at a very small scale uh, because we just didn't have the data. Um, while I was doing that, uh, all, a lot of recreational divers came swimming by and, you know, sort of looking at what, what I was doing and I had to go uh, go in the evenings after their dinners to explain what I was doing. Every last one of them said, how can we help? And that's really sort of where this idea was born. If, if we could develop some sensors that they could wear while they were diving, we could collect data all over the ocean. Gotcha. So, I mean, taking that in context, um, how do we effectively use that as an opportunity to advance a, um, a, a positive climate agenda? Well, sure. As, as I said, you know, there are uh, global data sets and they're made up of observations that may be thousands of kilometers apart. So you really can't understand what's going on between those data points. Uh, we have massive data gaps in these, in these uh, uh, data sets. And so we can really only say paint with a broad brush. Uh, this really gives an opportunity to collect data at a hyper-local scale 
that will really help scientists and resource managers understand what's going on with climate change impacts um, on their resources, you know, down to, you know, a very small level. And so why, why do those data gaps exist? Frankly, because it's been horribly expensive to deploy these fixed weather stations around the world. Gotcha. Uh, most of them are located at airports uh, simply because they need to get airplanes on and off the ground safely. And uh, so we, we take advantage of that. But uh, establishing additional ones is, is rather difficult and expensive to do, especially in very remote places. So, you know, how would we pivot that to, to bringing it down to a, a finer scale then? Certainly, these are, we simply just need data in these places where we don't currently have data. And that's where people come in. People go everywhere. And if they could carry a sensor while they're out enjoying nature, that data then feeds back into these global climate data sets and enhances the resolution. Gotcha. And that's how you came up with the concept of, uh, of the two degree C leaf, uh, which is behind me, this side. Absolutely. Absolutely. A small passive sensor that simply can be clipped to a backpack strap or a, a scuba scuba tank, and uh, you know while you're out there recreating um, or walking around your city, you are helping collect the data that is absolutely necessary to address the climate challenges that we face today. Yeah, and so Jenny, um, how do you envision partnerships developing, and to what mutual benefit um, can you see them unfolding? Yeah, take, for example, associations, societies, organizations, companies, they all, uh, if they see the role they play in this journey being the individual or the organization um, helping collect the data, um, then we have scale. We have big scale with lots of diversified locations where individuals or their companies can create programs and and, uh, support the employees within the organization to just uh, collect the information, um, going about what they like to do. Um, for outdoor enthusiasts and outdoor recreation specifically, as they climb a mountain or as they go on a snowshoeing hike or as they bike, um, they can involve the members of that organization. They can involve the children. Teachers obviously can involve students. Um, so this is, you know, we think in our mind, this is a simple way to not only engage people but address the data holes and if there's one thing we can leave for the future it is information and knowledge for this location at this time because that is the only opportunity and if we miss that observation it is gone forever so uh, we think that you know in order to achieve the scale it's going to take a lot of partnerships now, the other thing it takes is money. And I know that Carson spends a tremendous amount of time uh, writing grants. Um, maybe you can help understand what that process looks like. Sure, sure. And, uh, you know, in my, in my career, that's pretty much uh, you do for any, for any hour you spend doing science, you're spending three or four hours writing grants. Um, and that's just the nature of, of, the, uh, of the discipline. And it's no different here with a not-for-profit is that, uh, you know, it takes money to, to do this, to develop the technology and get it out into the hands of people. Um, so I spend a lot of time uh, writing grants. We've got a couple of grants in right now uh, with uh, partnerships with NASA and uh, with NOAA, um, the National Science Foundation, all of, the, all of the usual grant sources, but also with, uh, you know, 
looking into private philanthropies uh, that that might be interested in helping us out. Yep, and and donations. You know, I I know for a fact uh, that we you know we spend a lot of time pushing out uh, requests for donations on our social media or on our on our website, and you know uh, for those listening, uh, those donations are used one hundred percent in the development of um, of this project. Um, you know, and if people would like to donate, I mean, there are opportunities, like I said, on the website or, you know, via um, uh, kindness.com or the experiment.com. And if anybody would actually like to participate at a meaningful, a more meaningful level, um, they could contact us directly. Um, Jenny, looking further afield, you know, down the road, um, perhaps as far as the next five years, where do you expect to see changes? And how do you think that they're going to translate to the, the, the average guy on the street? Well, so a vision we have is, you know, everyone kind of like they have a cell phone or a smartphone would have a smart device like ours in addition to their phone um, and they take it with them everywhere. So I envision, you know, uh, lots and lots of folks being very interested in, in being citizen scientists and take ownership of the role they can play in addressing our environmental challenges and opportunities. I see big corporates, companies, and outdoor recreation enthusiasts, and um, you know, private companies taking a big stance and role in this because they need the data, they need the science of what's happening in their location for the regions they care about. So, uh, in order to get to that outcome, we need the data to be analyzed by experts and research institutions um, that can understand how climate change is affecting that region. Gotcha. So we could see, you know, public, private, and academic and nonprofit organizations kind of having a big role. Um, and, and really what I see is a huge amount of data that it becomes a big data problem or a big data opportunity. So with that, and naturally I see the cloud service providers potentially being interested uh, in taking a big role. Gotcha. And Carson, just uh, one other thing to do with the two degree C uh, leaf climate sensor, the, the data that's collected, um, where does that data go? And you know, who, who's going to use that data? Sure. So the data, it flows to uh, the cloud servers that, that we, uh, we've stand, we've, we're standing up and we quality control them, uh, make them anonymous so that uh, users' privacy is respected. The, the, the people who are collecting the data are not being, you know, identified or or shared out, um, and those data then are freely available to the scientific community, to resource managers, to anybody who really needs those data to make uh, science-based sound uh, climate decisions. Right, and and theoretically, then uh, you, you're you're taking observations from areas that most likely science has never been. Am I am I correct in saying that? That is correct, uh, gotcha. and that certainly do not have uh, yeah, reliable. Yeah, and not just climate observations. Go ahead, Jenny. Yeah, but it's, all, it's not exclusive, right? So we, we want to get those areas that have never been measured or never been collected, uh, particularly for those you know, mountainous regions or remote locations or you know, as we get into the dive side of things, mm -hmm. uh, certain distance off the shore where even satellite observations can't reach. But it's also to validate you know, the existing um, data gaps. So um, let's let's understand what's happening with the weather and climate a certain distance off the station. Gotcha. That is the official record. 
And also, and, also in cities, um, yep. you know, urban heat islands that are those are very important uh, yep. considerations for our, our health and well-being. And yeah. the more data we can have, the better. Yeah, so it's it's just as meaningful for you know the listener in the in the city. Um, it can have a meaningful effect as yep. well. Okay, great. You're listening to a conversation about climate innovation. Coming up. You know, I think India recognizes that climate change is very real for them, and there are a number of initiatives and research and activities uh, occurring as we speak. The government of India is taking um, big strides and big investments, not only in climate modeling, but working with what they call their state action plans. You would argue that one thing that they could benefit from is more higher resolution data and information, so that can enable, you know, high resolution planning, um, understanding. And so if you get into the mountainous regions, there's certainly a need for, um, you know, hyper-local specific information. That's up next when 2 Degrees C Climate Chat continues. Blue Ocean Art is the premier collective of marine artists and a proud partner of 2 Degrees C. From some of the world's most renowned underwater photographers to painters, sculptors, and multimedia artists from around the world, Blue Ocean Art's large collection features moving imagery showcasing the beauty of the world's oceans. Our artist's passion to capture the moments and special places in our oceans affords the rest of us a glimpse into that mystical realm that makes up so much of our planet and has a deep impact on all of us, yet we know so little about. Our shared interest in protecting the environment means we look forward to using the Leaf Climate Sensor on our projects and trips as soon as they're able to reach the critical next stage of product development. Visit www.blueoceanart.com to see their selection of fine art prints and decorative products to bring the beauty of the world's coral reefs and underwater environments into your space. Listeners of the 2 Degrees C Climate Chat podcast can exclusively take 25% off with the code 2 Degrees C at checkout. So for podcast listeners, um, we have a newsletter called the 2 Degrees C Climate Check. And that goes out once a week. And uh, we try to keep it as simple as possible, taking two or three news items from uh, the climate crisis around the world, including a... Um, and the latest report and sending it out. So just the facts once a week. So uh, if you haven't picked it up yet, stop by 2degreesc.org and sign up for your, your news. But in this segment, I'd like to focus maybe just on one or two of the subjects that are in the news this week. Um, the first one, a tragedy coming out of, out of, out of India, um, out of northern India with a, um, a glacial collapse. And I had a question for Karsten because, you know, maybe Karsten, you can, uh, you can elaborate a bit on the destabilization of the, uh, the planet's glaciated regions. Uh, certainly, uh, you know, just really uh, quickly in that it's a uh, it's a matter of these glaciers receding and they're really unloading the pressure that's been placed on the on the underlying rock. And as that uh, pressure is lifted, the rock can start to split apart and uh, and collapse in, in catastrophic ways. Um, in addition, the, the additional warmth is is uh, causing more water to be underneath these glaciers. So, you know, anything that does break away can move uh, much more easily. Gotcha. And that's because the, 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 the snowpack is melting and then refreezing and melting and refreezing? It, that's, yeah, that's some of the extent of it. 
Gotcha. So, um, Jenny, I know you've traveled to India quite a lot. Um, have you seen any particular threats that are that that region is facing that um, is a little different to anywhere else? Well, India experiences climate change in so many different ways. You know, they have extreme heat, extreme precipitation, flooding, glacial melt. Um, and when you look into the mountainous regions in the northeastern part of India, uh, there have been a lot of uh, issues and big catastrophic events that have uh, just wrecked havoc and killed millions of people. Um, you know, I think India recognizes that climate change is very real for them. And there are a number of initiatives and research and activities uh, occurring as we speak. The government of India is taking um, big strides and big investments, not only in climate modeling, but working with what they call their state action plans and working on how to build adaptation and resilience plans. Um, you know, but you would argue that one thing that they could benefit from is more higher resolution data and information. So that can enable, you know, high resolution planning, um, understanding. And so if you get into the mountainous regions, there's certainly a need for, um, you know, hyper local specific information. Um, and so, yeah, in a sense, we aspire that perhaps there's interest um, in citizen science taking a role um, gotcha. with collecting those observations. Gotcha. Um, there was something else that I picked up in the news this week. Uh, it had to do with um, the, the uh, rising sea levels impacting airports and making airport runways unusable. And I actually saw two different um, uh, articles related to that. Carson, maybe you can explain the, the mechanics behind sea level rise. Sure. Um, yeah. And as a pilot, that's a that's a big concern of mine uh, and for a lot of a lot of the aviation community. Um, many of the world's airports are built on uh, on the flat land that's right along the coastlines uh, at very low levels. Uh, but sea level rise is uh, predominantly an, an effect of the warming of the ocean water. And when something warms up, it tends to expand. And since it can't expand downward into the ocean basin, it expands upward. So uh, the sea level uh, overall rises. And when you combine that with a high tide and, and the storm surge that, uh, that rolls in, it can easily uh, inundate the low-lying areas of an airport, as many of these airports have seen in the recent years. Gotcha. And if we maybe expand that thought out just a little bit, um, the, what are the main uh, uh, factors that are driving that sea level rise? Um, so melt off of, uh, of continental glaciers, uh, yeah. such as the Greenland ice cap and uh, the Antarctic ice cap, that's adding water to the, uh, to the oceans. Um, but again, the primary mechanism is simply that the water, as it warms, it, it expands. Gotcha. Gotcha. Well, that, well, guys, thanks very much for coming in today. Uh, I always learn so much when I speak to both of you. Um, for you guys listening, uh, this is season one and episode one. And uh, we have a great season lined up uh, of guests that uh, we'll be interviewing. Um, so please join us again. Um, we're going to be talking to some scientists straight out of the field and uh, who are documenting climate change as it happens, um, as well as adventurers. Um, who are um, seeing uh, climate change firsthand, as well as uh, stakeholders from, from industry who are addressing innovation. So uh, please join us again for the Two Degrees C Climate Chat. Thanks for listening to the Two Degrees C Climate Chat podcast. Next week, we'll be interviewing Dan Shaw of High Touch High Tech. So be sure to check back in then or find out more about the stories you just heard by visiting our blog at 2 and connect to others like you via our social media. 
We'd love to hear your stories and climate journeys. And if you like what you've heard today, please like, subscribe, and comment wherever you hear your podcasts.